0: Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the Gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm writer and hot priest, Giles Gough. And I'm filmmaker and wicked stepmother, Phil Coleman. And for the final episode of our special series on TV shows, we'll be looking at Phoebe Waller-Bridge's seminal comedy, Fleabag. We'll look at the corrosive effects of purity culture on the 90s kids and beyond, and the practicalities of being a celibate virgin on the dating scene well into your 30s. Now, whilst it is a clean podcast, we're going to be talking about some adult content from the offset. So maybe wait till the kid's in bed. And whatever you do, don't listen to this episode with your mum. It's just going to be too weird. (laughs) So, Phil, you've just watched Fleabag for the first time. What did you think of it? It's devastating and beautiful. And
1: I had to take a break at one point.
2: (laughs) It was just,
1: (laughs) it's just, it's so well written and so, so human. There's so much humour in there, but also it's just there just to sort of hide how horrible and lonely life can be sometimes in certain situations. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. You can see why Phoebe Waller-Bridge is as like sort of renowned as she is now for everything that she does. Absolutely. You know, with writing like Killing Eve and that and... She even had a hand in writing the latest Bond film, didn't she? So she's and she, yeah. you can you can see how she's like ballooned
0: in stardom because she's incredible. Yeah, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is my absolute hero. I think she's fantastic. I've seen some of her other stuff and they are they're they're brilliant. I watched Crashing, that was great. There's nothing quite like Fleabag though. I think I agree with that. This is something else entirely, unlike anything I've ever seen. Absolutely. So now. Let's kick off for the last time this season with Phil's Facts.
1: Yay! But also kind of like, oh. (laughs) So um, (laughs) Fleabag is a British comedy drama series created and written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge based on her one-woman show first performed in 2013. Claire and Martin are the only members of Fleabag's immediate family whose names are actually spoken in scene. Fleabag... Her dad and her godmother are never addressed by their names on screen. Several prominent supporting characters, including the bank manager and the priest, are also never named on screen.
0: Part of that comes down to the fact that it's so strongly within the female gaze. The fact that characters, some male characters, just don't ever get a name. There's there's Mm. one guy who she meets on the bus who she thinks looks a bit like a, a rat. (laughs) so he is literally credited as bus rodent Ah! I kid you not
1: and such an awkward character as well well what
0: (laughs) what's interesting about it is that if you look in in sort of mainstream cinema and mainstream TV there are plenty of female characters that never ever get a name just girl in bar or stuff like that so the one of the fun things about Fleabag is the way that it flips that trope and has it and makes the male characters fairly two-dimensional in a lot of cases the reason Mm -hmm. the priest sticks out quite so so much is that he's uh, he's not two-dimensional, and he's he's Fleabag's equal in, in every way.
1: And plus as well, it's Andrew Scott. I just don't ever feel like I should be mad when he's on screen. You know what I mean? He's brilliant in everything <laughs> he does. So the name Fleabag, the nickname of the central character, is actually also the nickname given to actress Phoebe Wallabridge by her family, and I think that's kind of a mean nickname, really. <laughs> I'm sure it was said with the utmost care and sort of respect.
0: She's got a really sort of strong family connections. Her sister, uh, Isabel Wallabridge, bridge to as Izzo did the 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 music for it. I saw uh, that.
1: I thought that was really nice that she uh she did that.
0: And she says that there's uh there's some some stuff in Fleabag that's just there for Izzo, which I thought was brilliant. There was also a fantastic thing that her mum said to her when she was starting oh, yeah. secondary school. She said, Now, darling, when you're starting school, you only really need to be good for the first term. And then once the teachers have got it in their minds that you're one of the good kids you can pretty much do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, that's,
1: that's actually quite true. You know true. something, that really doesn't feel like it's that far from the truth
2: in a lot of no, ways.
1: really, really is not. I can, oh, can confirm. Fair play, yeah. fair play. In December 2019, former US President Barack Obama included Fleabag Season 2 on his annual list of his favourite books, movies and music of the year as a subsection under films of TV shows that I considered as powerful as movies. During the first season in the show's pilot episode, President Obama actually had a highly memorable comic and inappropriate cameo. cameo. Fleabag (laughs) watches archive footage of one of his speeches on her laptop, which inspires her to have a private moment with herself, (laughs) which in turn (laughs) calls her boyfriend Harry to storm out of the apartment. So when Fleabag won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical Series, Phoebe (laughs) Waller-Bridge mentioned Obama in her acceptance speech. Personally... I'd like to also thank Obama for putting us on his list. As some of you may know, he's always been on Mind. And if you don't get that joke, please watch season one of Fleabag really, really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the priest is the only character in Fleabag to actually ever notice when Fleabag is breaking the fourth wall and last but not least Phoebe Waller-Bridge actually once auditioned for Downton Abbey uh, in 2010 and delivered what she felt was a heartfelt performance but the producers thought she was too funny for the series so she didn't (laughs) get the part (laughs) which I uh, I can see it to be honest I can see that
0: Do you know what she's built like a 1920s flapper girl though isn't she you know so she would have absolutely fit into that time period I think that's quite good because if you think about it if she'd been on Downton she would have probably been too busy to write Fleabag you know well, this is it and if she hadn't written Fleabag would
1: we still know Phoebe Waller-Bridge in the same way the funny
0: thing is to an extent she's, she's almost Done a bit of a Tom Cruise, where she's the same character in every every film. When she's in Broadchurch, playing the uh, the solicitor, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's she's in that. She's fantastic as well. Yeah, she's, same same lacking, same characteristics. Me. You know, the fact that she can go from that to. And still be ostensibly the same same person when she's playing a droid in in the yeah. uh, Han Solo uh, I, I, movie. I read,
1: I read another fact about that where basically they asked her. She'd never heard of a droid, like whatever a droid was. She'd never watched a Star Wars film before. She actually mm-hmm. um, auditioned for that. And uh, they said they basically said to her, she just did it as a normal self. She didn't know what a droid was. And then they tried. They asked her to do it a bit more droidy. Next time she was like, I don't know what that means. So she just so she just did it again, but a bit more like a robot. And in, in the end, they were like, actually, you know what? The way you did it the first time was better. And they cast her in that way instead.
0: Lovely. Thank you for those, Phil. Now I. Can normally sort of pick out like academics or people who work in a, the, in a particular area or something, but for this particular show, I just had to grab a super fan. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna introduce you to my friend Emma, and she's gonna tell you all about how much she loves sleep bag.
3: Hi, my name's Emma Watkins, and I am a bit of a geek. Goes without saying, if you're friends with Giles, I've studied media studies, and I'm a communication and change professional with more than twenty years' experience. So very fun at parties.
0: You are very fun at parties, I am though. That's very what fun you're at actually lowballing. That you know. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. You're a big Fleabag fan, and uh, you've sort of also spent the, uh, the been the single girl in London as well. So you're our, our expert on this uh, on this topic.
3: Not just that. I worked out there's another there's another connection. So Deborah Francis White, who is considered mm-hmm. a bit of the midwife of Fleabag. Yeah. Her birthplace is Brisbane and I'm coming to you from Brisbane. So I think it's incredibly fitting.
0: Awesome, my wife uh, Claire and I have met Deborah Francis-White at least twice so far. I'm jealous. <laughs> anyway, anyway we, are, we are getting ahead of ourselves. So how exactly did Fleabag come about?
3: It is the thing that um, stand up and TV dreams are made of really. The lovely Phoebe Waller-Bridge was friends with Deborah Francis-White and Deborah had a 10 minute slot that she had to fill in her a comedy show mm-hmm. and she convinced Phoebe to come on and do a slot now it's interesting when you hear um Walla Bridge talk about this she says that um, Frances White downplayed the stand-up comedy bit and she said it's more storytelling darling and also I think the 50 quid performance fee kind of sealed it so yeah it's just <laughs> it was a 10-minute comedy filler so it wasn't quite Fleabag but from there evolved the one woman show and from there evolved Fleabag Season 1. So, so many up-and-coming stand-ups and um, TV comedy writers, I'm sure, dream of that kind of trajectory.
0: So, The One Woman Show was in Edinburgh, wasn't it?
3: Yes. And um, for those who, who really like to watch the kind of beginnings of things, you can, you can access The One Woman Show because um, Phoebe waller did repeat it. In fact, I saw it in Brisbane at the cinema with the National Theatre kind of run that, that they did, and it was incredible.
0: We saw the 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 live one in the cinema as well, and I think the fascinating thing, the thing you don't get, is how much of a brilliant character actor um, Phoebe Waller Bridge is. The the way she can sort of do do the voices of sort of old Cockney men as well as her her dad and the all the all the different things is absolutely fantastic.
3: She's totally compelling in that one woman show. It's just. You laugh, you cry, you gasp, you're on the edge of your seat. It she is incredible. So for people who've seen the series, i would I would definitely recommend going to see um going to see the One Woman Show. I think on Amazon, it's just incredible to see how the stage show can can play out.
0: It's phenomenal seeing the same story in in different mediums. So the first series comes out. they it's an absolute massive hit. I think it first comes out on BBC three. And, uh, and becomes a big hit on on, uh, on iPlayer. And then she tells us that that's, the, that's it, it's done, there won't be another series, and then all of a sudden there is. And it centers around one particular character. So, Em, can you tell us how and why did Phoebe Waller-Bridge decide to bring in the hot priest?
3: What's really interesting is that in season one, she kind of surprises us with the perverse. And then in season two, she surprises us with the sacred. And in her own words, she said she wanted to go bigger and she wanted to go something beyond her psyche. And that's when the idea of religion kind of entered into the framework. Andrew Scott is a friend of hers. He plays the priest, which we now know as the hot priest, or as I like to think of the hottest priest known to man. So Fleabag and the Hot Priest, they're Mm. kind of same, same, but different. Um, And he is this surprising character in the same way that Fleabag's a surprising character. But he has Mm. such a different kind of code and life than she does. But they connect in a way that's just phenomenal. And um, uh, I have to say, thanks to to some research I've done, Digital Spy, this is a quote from... um, From that, Fleabag's relationship with the camera and the viewer was to be mirrored by the priest's relationship with God because both characters constantly feel like they're being watched by a presence they want to explain themselves to. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. Yeah, that's
0: brilliant. I hadn't heard that. That's amazing. Isn't
3: it? They both break the fourth wall. They have this habit mm-hmm. of doing that, and, and and the hot priest actually calls Fleabag on it, which is really mm-hmm. a very special moment in this series, because it's almost like she's seen for the very first time, and it's just, just lovely.
0: So, Emma, what would you say are some of the predecessors for Fleabag?
3: Okay. Now, I'm going to get a bit geeky with you here. Are you okay with that?
0: You know I'm 100% down for getting your geek on.
3: I know, but I, I want everyone else to hear that, but I've got permission. Okay. So here's something controversial is that I think mm-hmm. you can trace Fleabag back to Sandra Bullock's Lucy in While You Were Sleeping.
0: Okay, all right, I am here for it. All right, love L- it.
3: 1995, Disney, mm-hmm. PG rated, but Lucy is kind of grotty and dirty and she's a liar. So, yep, yeah, there's an okay. element of the Cinderella transformation, but not completely. And she's mm-hmm. com- and she is family friendly, where Fleabag isn't. But, you know, she's unashamedly the main character. She holds us. And she's achingly human. So okay. then I think you need to add in the mix of Sex and the City, which I'm not a huge fan of, I've got to be honest. Okay. But mm-hmm. when I was growing up, Sex and the City was a place that I heard sex talked about in a really frank and raw and unedited way. I'd never heard women talk about sex that way before. The thing I like about Fleabag is it's almost like, instead of looking at the brunch table and the cocktail hour of the Sex and the City Girls, we're invited in. So it's grottier, the Manhattan flair is completely wiped off, but we're right there, center stage, with her, and, uh, and it's gritty and it's real. Um, And then I I don't think you can mention Fleabag without mentioning Bridget Jones.
0: No, that's true.
3: Bridget took the Sandra Bullock Lucy from rom-com Grot much further. And to be honest, Bridget was something of a watershed really um, in the lovable and a little loose female loser with a foul mouth. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I've got beef with Bridget Jones, unfortunately, because in the books, it makes it clear that she went to Bangor University and she's thoroughly disparaging of Bangor, which is something you just don't do around me. Like I can slag off Bangor, but nobody else is allowed to slag off Bangor. That's the rule. All
3: right. I I, I sense that you're triggered. So can we just breathe for a moment? (laughs) But look, the lovely thing about Bridget as a woman Mm -hmm. was that she wasn't the nicest, the prettiest, the smallest girl in the room. Mm -hmm. and she won our hearts. So we see this again in Bridesmaids with Kristen Wiig's character. So nothing in her life is going right. She's not even particularly likable, to be honest, and she eats her feelings. So she kind of takes this kind of grotty loser further. And i got to say, the relief as a woman is that girls on screen have suddenly become women, but not just women, problematic women and we've done away with the idea of this whole Cinderella that we have to wipe away the warts and all. Um, actually, the problems are what we see most, and, and to some extent they're what they make the characters most lovable, which, which is really yeah. cool. Fleabag takes excruciating self-destruction, runs with it, crosses every line. <laughs> From the very first scenes, crosses every line. Yeah. It's almost comedy horror. It's not rom-com anymore. It's comedy horror. (laughs) Because we watch our worst relational, professional, financial and social nightmares play out in one character. And I think the the appeal is that she draws on our most unspoken fears that we're unlovable and irredeemable. 20 minutes in, she rocks up on her dad's doorstep, completely drunk. And she says out loud the most human of things that most humans don't want to talk about. Those fears of being ashamed of what they are in the mirror. And um, it's almost like a reverse prodigal daughter. She turns up at the doorstep okay. hoping to find this acceptance. And actually, what does her dad say? I'll call you a cab. I'll call you a Don't cab. Don't go upstairs. Yeah. The thing that I think Fleabag's left us with is this idea less of the antihero, which we got to know very much in the 90s and the noughties, and more the messy heroine. She's more nuanced than Bridget Jones, grittier, wittier, and more vulnerable than any of her American counterparts.
0: Yeah, listen, Em, thank you so much. It's really lovely to talk to somebody who is as passionate about this show as I am and uh, who can see it from so many different sides I'm missing.
3: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Charles.
0: So, Phil, that was Emma. What do you think? Well, the
1: commitment for her to beam in all the way from Brisbane was uh, rather nice, you know, and uh, I think my favourite thing about that is where she compared the priest and Fleabag in the way that they both talk to entities, like whether it be the audience or God, that other people can't see absolutely i, I just think yeah. that's that that just blew my mind i was just like oh my god obviously do you know what i mean like i was like that's why they're so similar
0: awesome source. now for the final time for this season
4: Ooh. it is time
0: for <gasps> finding their faith in the film
4: <laughs> da, 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 da. there we go i can't help it <laughs>
0: it's like a pavlovian response <laughs> and that voice you heard there listeners is of course the wonderful Claire Goff, Hello. who is going to be joining us for this episode. Claire, you've been a fan of Fleabag pretty much since as long as I have, haven't you?
4: Yes, love it. I want to be her a little bit, but also not because she's super messed up.
0: <laughs> so, let's get cracking. We're going to set out our, our stall from the start. So, both series of Fleabag mean a lot to me. I, I got my first a published article on Media Magazine by writing about Fleabag and the female gaze. And that first series is a masterpiece all of its own. But for this Mm -hmm. episode we'll be looking at the second series or the New Testament as I like to call it uh, the representation of the priest and his struggle between his love for God and his love for Fleabag was absolutely amazing in all my years of watching film and TV I don't think I've ever felt quite so seen as that
1: I know I've mentioned this before but I didn't realise before how great an actress Phoebe Waller-Bridge is but I already knew how great an actor Andrew Scott is when I knew, when I realised he was in the second season I was just like yes <laughs> this is going to be wonderful I can't wait you know it was just oh
0: let's Start with the easy stuff. Do you remember in episode two of the second season when he gives her a Bible with the verses marked? Mm, I've seen that. So, whether we like it or not, we as Christians have to tell people about Jesus. I mean, he was really clear about that in Matthew 28 <laughs> 19 to 20. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What I think he should have added was, no matter how awkward it feels because sometimes it's really, really awkward. (laughs) It is so hard talking to people about God, especially when you're a teenager. It's even harder when the person clearly needs Jesus and they're carrying a pain that is so profound that nothing will heal it. That awkward exchange when he hands her a Bible with the verses marked is something that I think a lot of Christians can Mm. relate to.
4: Like sometimes you know you need to do it and you know that the person will probably appreciate the conversation, but it also makes you want to shrivel up and die a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. also because there's the risk that put bluntly they won't want to be friends with you anymore Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I wish I wish I knew how to relate I, I mean I guess the only way I can relate is if I've watched maybe an obscure television show and I'm like but you really should watch it it's so good you'll, it'll really benefit you, you know yeah. you, you'll relate to this character and everyone's like yeah yeah maybe if I've got time you know and I'm just like yeah, no 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 you'll watch it right now you know,
4: just... it's quite a lot like that it's like you're a massive fan of this really niche thing and you just want to tell everyone about it and be like oh but you'll really like it i promise and they're yeah, really lukewarm is good when it's the worst thing <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so that is the easy stuff out of the way
4: oh good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now let's get on to the topic that we're all here to talk about celibacy oh, wow yes. wow okay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my <laughs>
1: okay yeah.
0: now as we've talked about in the past celibacy as defined as not having sex outside of marriage is a part of being a Christian. And when you're a teenager, it's a big part. Hell, when you're at uni and everyone is doing it, when you're in your 20s and all your friends are getting married, or when you're in your 30s and you're fairly convinced you might just die alone, it's still an incredibly big deal.
4: I think it gets a bigger deal the longer it goes without you doing it, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) I
1: just don't know how to relate to that, because I have never had a need for celibacy in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are very
4: much in the majority. I mean, I was going to say, even amongst Christians, there's plenty of Christians that, that have sex before getting married and that can actually make you feel even more lonely in it because literally everyone around you is doing it almost everyone around you is doing it so if you've yeah. made that choice you can feel very lonely in it
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah to be fair in a lot of ways even when you're not religious and you're doing that you can feel very lonely as well because yeah. nothing ever lasts you know it's 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 one of those things maybe <laughs> maybe there's a point to that <laughs> but um yeah. you know but anyway. Yeah.
4: But that's... it is very much an individual choice like i say not all christians choose to remain Celebrate before marriage so it's like I want to make very clear from the outset that we are in no way judging people for having sex because sex is super fun and it is <laughs> it is very much a personal individual choice that you make for your own reasons so yeah just just to make that clear
0: <laughs> obviously celibacy is a big deal and it's fair to say that the church pretty much since time immemorial has not made that any easier <laughs> We could look at the entirety of the way church leaders have treated young people since forever, but for the purposes of this episode We're going to be talking about It's effect on 90s kids like myself And noughties kids like my child bride here
4: I was born in 89, I'll have you know
0: I was born in 83 But I, I... mean you're a teenager yeah. in thing. That? That's yeah, what I, mean. yeah, yeah.
1: I still can't get used to child
0: bride <laughs> <laughs> She's not really a child bride That helps There was
4: six years between us And I was thoroughly into my 20s It's okay, it's okay <laughs>
0: Good. So what I wanted to do Was I wanted to talk about a thing that some people might be familiar with some people might not be called purity culture. Purity culture is the name given to the culture that's developed around teaching no sex before marriage and as with so many things in life the people that tend to do this the boldest and the brashest are the Americans and obviously there was there's been lots of teaching on this subject by sort of church leaders and in particular youth leaders because this is the sort of thing that that gets talked a lot more about in youth groups than with Mm. adults I would have said
4: yeah definitely Yeah, Yeah. yeah
0: and and in nineteen ninety-seven there was a book that came out, written by a guy called Joshua Harris, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. <laughs>
2: Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> save the vomit sounds for later, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's making it. The book warned that dating could cause irreparable emotional damage. And the solution was to embrace courtship, where couples pursue friendship before romance, and parents are given permission to offer advice and help guide the relationship. Harris also advocated for strict boundaries within this, no kissing, no holding hands, no being alone together before you tie the knot. Perhaps most famously he recommended only beginning a relationship with someone if you could picture yourself marrying them in the near future. Now I don't think I even need to bother explaining why this became something of a problem. He was homeschooled.
4: I am shocked to find that out. Shocked. (laughs) Apparently he became a church leader before
0: he even ever attended a seminary. So he was a bit of a sort of evangelical underkid, you know, he was was a (laughs) bit too fantastic for for his own good.
1: So he didn't become a party organiser then because I feel like he's absolutely no fun at parties.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan of spin the bottle. (laughs) Well, this is Do <laughs> yeah, you really
0: know right. what? I know I'm happily married and everything, but oh gosh, I miss spin the bottle. So- we can
4: we can have it at our next party. If you yeah, like I don't it's it's- <laughs> what? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> It was That's a
1: right a- pain after a bit. You're just like, oh, I don't make me do stuff. I just want a bevy. <laughs> See, I
4: always avoided spin the bottle because I didn't have my first kiss until I was 19 and I didn't want my first kiss to be over a game of spin the bottle. Oh,
0: uh, okay. It has to be stated in this area that I'm a total slut. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... yeah, a little bit.
4: For a celibate virgin for many years, you were such a slut. <laughs>
1: I can't talk to you about my previous sexual history. It's just... all right.
0: You already told me all the good stuff. You know, I, I wrote well, it right. down in my dream journal, you know. Phil <laughs> told me a very interesting thing today.
1: I had never heard of this particular thing.
4: <laughs> I learned a new word. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So as you can tell, this kind of approach to, to courtship and and stuff was pretty much used to sort of beat a lot of kids over the head with, and it's it really kind of messed up people's approach to dating. Mm. There's a lot of misogyny that, that gets mixed in with it as yeah. well. I don't know if you if you remember the singer Jessica Simpson. She was probably one of the most famous people who wore a purity ring. Mm. You know those oh, little rings.
1: Uh, I know of purity rings, and I'm, I'm aware hmm. of that sort of the use of them.
0: Uh, so the purity ring was like a almost like a, a ring you wore to show that you were not. Can have any sex before marriage. And it's interesting to know, as you say that Josh Harris denounced um I kissed dating goodbye and he's he sort of apologised for people to people. He went to a seminary up in Canada to sort of deconstruct his face.
4: <laughs> wow, that sounds painful. <laughs> 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 let me um, take another run at that man. Oh. I, uh,
0: I think That's I think
4: one hell of said.
1: a seminary <laughs>
0: take another go at that he went up to canada to attend a seminary where he would deconstruct his faith and sadly he no longer identifies as being a christian anymore which is really quite quite intense and i think the problem you have with this is that if you're a teenager hell if you're a person you've got a sex drive or i should say most people have a sex drive and Mm. if you're telling teenagers that they just can't have that at all then you're pretty much inviting your teenagers to lie to you yeah it's like
4: abstinence only sex education it just doesn't work Mm. and it just causes more problems and i mean with things like this it it just perpetuates shame yeah and makes people feel so much shame around sex which you know makes abuse more likely and compounds the damage that it does because you know if people feel in incredible shame around sex then they're not going to open up about something that's happened to them in that area because of just the intense shame and embarrassment that surrounds it and it is incredibly damaging and then when you do go on to try and have a sexual relationship Mm -hmm. you just associate sex with shame and sin and wrong and to go from having basically being told that you're not allowed to think about sex you're not allowed to kiss someone you're not allowed to hold their hands you know you don't think about them in a sexual way to then suddenly have a full-on sexual relationship it is going to screw you up
0: (laughs) and also if you imagine Americans where it's like, let's start popping out kids as quickly as possible. Yeah.
1: I find it all very frightening because,
4: like, it's... Yeah. Imagine
1: the trauma, the mental trauma that it well, causes have you to heard... be like, get married right now and have sex, or never have sex until you're married because you'll die or something like that. And it's just like, dude, like, that's a lot for a developing yeah. mind. You know yeah, I mean? yeah.
4: Have you so ever damaging. heard
0: the paper metaphor? No. Or the, the chewing gum metaphor? Oh,
4: it's so gross. So,
0: the thing that they would get you to do, I don't think I had this specifically, but I heard of it, was you'd get a a sheet of brown, spanky and white sheet of A4 and then what they what they'd get them to do is they'd crumple up the paper you know really sort of scrunch it into a ball and yeah. then they would unfold it back out again you know and like flatten it down as much as possible then they'd hold it up and you'd still be able to see all the, the crinkles and the creases yeah. and they'd say no matter how much you tried to sort of like flatten it out or, or to sort of iron out or anything it was still was no longer perfect
1: I hate that, I Yeah, hate
4: it's, that. Gross. it's gross, it's gross and another one that I've heard is that you know someone that has uh, lost their virginity is like a piece of chewing gum that's already been chewed isn't hate, that nasty
1: i think I, I think i hate that more because it's just vulgar yeah just disrespectful to, to a human soul Do you know what i mean you imagine yeah. what that does to you the way you feel about yourself inside and your, your, your self-worth
4: it's putting all of someone's value onto their virginity mm-hmm. which is ridiculous and that's what basically what all of history has done to women yeah. is to say your your value is in your virginity and once yeah. you've had sex then you're not really worth that much anymore, especially if you've had out sex outside of marriage. It's, well it's yeah. it's and the very, very obviously wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And the other aspect <clears throat> to it is that it has no room in it for anybody who has been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. You know, if chances are if they've been abused, they already feel bad, they already feel shame. And the the sense that you can't then come out and talk to it to your church leaders who should be the people that you should be able to feel yeah. safe talking to them. It does it it creates that barrier.
4: Yeah, and I also celibacy is something that you can still choose after having sex like we see fleabag do in season two she's she's choosing to to abstain for her own well-being she's she's not doing that anymore in her own words
0: a little bit Um, which isn't no i don't do that anymore and the sister goes really yeah
4: yeah (laughs)
0: really are you ill?
4: and that choice is just as valid as someone choosing not to have sex you know who, who has never done it that's just as valid you're not ruined after you've done it once like a lot of christians would have you believe i read a book about this from a girl who was well she thought she had sex but actually it was it was rape she was coerced she just didn't appreciate it until a lot later but she'd grown up in that culture and for a long time she she felt really screwed up about it and she felt like she was damaged and would never be the same again and actually she realized that purity and celibacy has nothing to do with what you've done in the past it's to do with your current state
1: hearing about the way that you know a sort of community that you feel like you can that you're supposed to be able to trust like Mm. full of people who you're meant to be able to go to just makes me feel Rotten, it makes me feel really sick and dirty. I can't understand how someone can do that and also sleep at night it doesn't make any sense to me
0: the thing about celibacy and the thing i keep coming back to is that it has to be your own choice Mm, you absolutely can't enforce it on on anybody else you know Uh, to come back to to the west wing Mm -hmm. there's one scene where toby ziegler has to tell the president butler that he's managed to get his ex-wife pregnant and she's pregnant with twins toby is he was unsure about sort of telling the president because it's sex outside of marriage and the president is catholic and yeah. President Bartlett just goes, "It's my religion, Toby. It's not yours. You know, you don't. Yeah. I hold myself to this standard. I'm not going to hold you to that standard as well. That doesn't mean I'm better than you or or anything else like that. I'm not going to go around judging everybody else because they're doing something different to me."
1: Yeah, I think that's a true, human and fair way of doing things.
0: But the frustration is is also links with this idea that one sin is is worse than the others, and we've we've talked about this in the past. The idea that no. Yeah. <laughs> no it isn't Like They're all just as bad As each other Sex obviously Can come with Consequences Unwanted pregnancies Or, or STDs Or anything like that mm-hmm. But that's why it's, it's really important To teach people About safe sex You yeah. know
4: Yeah 100% Yeah um, absolutely we, 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 we know already That abstinence only Sex education Does not work no. You're going to be Much more successful At preventing problems And unwanted pregnancy And STDs etc By giving a good Sex education yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah education is the key to 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 knowing how to be safe at the end of the day like you, you... yeah if you just say, don't do it, then people are going to be like, you can't tell them what to do.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> there was one book I read as a, as a teenager, which was called Sexy But True Love Waits <laughs> uh, by John Bicknell. It was actually, it was really helpful. It was, it was really fun. Managed to take the whole topic and deal with it with a fantastic sense of humour. You know, it was saying like, church leaders get really twitchy about trying to guide young people through what's acceptable and what isn't. They might say something about how you're not meant to touch a girl upstairs in the upstairs area you're definitely not meant to touch her in it in the downstairs area so what kids are going to end up thinking that they can only make out if they're on the stairs
1: (laughs) that's quite good i like that
0: it had this whole section devoted to how to hide those unwanted erections which
4: was hilarious i mean and super helpful for a teenage boy
0: And it did. It came with a, like a little sort of like credit card on the on the front of it, not not an actual but like a credit card style card yeah. with sexy but true love weights, which you could keep in your wallet. It's like the purity ring, but obviously you're keeping it in your wallet, so it's a it's a reminder for yourself, but it's not necessarily for everybody else, yeah. you know. Anyway,
1: that sounds a lot nicer. It
0: was. It was very British, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to Fleabag, because that's what we did name the episode. Yes. About, we're going to talk about the scene in the confessional. She's turned up at his church. Late Late at night he's busy listening to Jennifer Lopez, Jenny from the block, you know, he's trying to chill out, and <laughs> she turns up, they get to talking, and he convinces her to go into the confessional, and it's at that point where she starts to really open up to him, and when it looks like she's completely sort of broken, he says Neil. and then <laughs> the next shot, it's all about the camera angles, and the, the, the sort of, the uh, the music there, because he pulls the, the sort of, the curtain back, low angle, making him look super powerful, and then the, the, of, the of the music.
4: Yeah, I mean this scene is problematic in a lot of ways, but still when he says that word Neil, it does do a little something to me I've got to be honest (laughs) (laughs) It's Andrew Scott after all Give me a break
0: (laughs) Class, do you want to talk us through a bit more because I knew that was something that was on your mind
4: Yeah, Yeah, so this scene made me quite uncomfortable He gets her to to really open up she's in a very vulnerably, vulnerable place emotionally she goes to the church looking for some kind of support or even just, just to go and pray or something like that and she actually opens up to him in the confessional and it's a massive deal and she's not even really looking for anything from him apart from maybe some emotional support and he completely takes advantage of her I feel in that moment yeah um, and uh, I found I found quite a good quote from the religion news service which sounds very serious. (laughs) Um, But there's an article in there that says, his sin is not just a violation of celibacy, it's a professional violation, better if he had picked up a stranger in a singles bar because professionals deal with vulnerable people and should not exploit them and often these professionals are the first people to listen and show kindness to the person in need who then might respond with infatuation or love and if the professional allows the relationship becomes sexual it can be catastrophic and true love means placing the other person ahead of yourself if you can't keep your pants on you shouldn't be in this line of work Mm, and like you know I, i really love the character but what she needed in that moment was a priest, not someone that was going to try and have sex with her. Just that particular scene that made me feel like he stepped over a a bit of a boundary because you know, that is a profession and we know that it has not been historically, but that is a profession that should be completely reliable in these moments, and and that person should be able to have really strict boundaries in place because of the nature of the work they do. And so, if someone's being emotionally vulnerable, you need to know how to keep your pants on.
0: I don't disagree with with any of any of that. And again, uh, speaking as yeah. a as a professional, I understand he, he goes over a boundary there. Speaking as a as a person, she has pursued him fairly relentlessly. Yeah. He did say in the episode prior we're not gonna have sex and she still goes to it she still keeps coming after him again and again that's There's true but he op- does
4: allow it to happen well I mean again- he I would say I would even say he encourages oh. it at times well, okay. he takes her well, shopping for his vestments for he, heaven's sake well, well okay
0: I mean uh, clearly we're talking to different girls because I don't know how that how women get turned on by shopping for priest vestments but clearly I'm saying it's, no, a, it's, it's a bit a of, a
4: of a boyfriend team. activity isn't it <laughs> <laughs> going shopping together well, this is the thing though right is that he can
0: tell that she needs I mean, she needs help that she needs a, a confidant of some kind so what does he do in that situation. Does he cut her off and stay well away from her? And then all that does is that compounds the idea that religion can't help you, God can't help you, the church is not interested in your problems. Oh, he's, to trying to, he's trying to—he's trying to toe an incredibly fine line because he can see that this girl is she's she's even referred to as the girl with the empty heart and no friends, and he can see that straight from the thing. So when he got her into the in, to go into the confessional, that kiss wasn't premeditated. You know, I'd argue even when he says Neil, that's mm-hmm. that wasn't it wasn't premeditated. I'd even. Even go so far as to say that when he opens the curtain that kiss isn't premeditated some people have really taken against him in that, and they called him like a, a predator and the rest of it this is clearly not a pattern of behavior for him when he sees that she's at his church he, he gets really flustered he loses all his all his words and he really fancies her he fancies this girl who keeps hunting him down even after he says we're not gonna have sex so she's like yeah but we could though let's have sex should we have sex though should we have sex should we do that and he kisses her one yeah. time she's an adult He's an adult. They both really fancy each other. I don't disagree that it is overstepping a professional boundary. How moral it is, I'm not sure.
1: I think it comes down to a sort of like an air of morality. Like, mm-hmm. in that situation, if that person is vulnerable just trying to find a way to sort of work out their problems and they know they can go to you because they know that you care about them i think it just comes down to a d- despite whether i'm a priest or not should i really be doing this and i think that's the mm. main argument is that morally it it wasn't the right thing to do yeah. at no, the same time I'm... it shows he's also a human being who mm. yes. whose impulses can get the better of him it, it it doesn't it doesn't excuse it it's it's simply just the reason that doesn't mean that any every impulse should be acted on and is excusable. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that for a second. I just in the context of that particular scene, it's sort of almost like a tipping point, like a boiling over point. Like I yeah. see, yeah. I think I see, he's just doing his best. He's doing his best he not does- to, he's, he's sort of seeing Fleabag at that point in like sort of almost as two people, as the person mm. who fancies her mm-hmm. and also as the priest and it's like mm. two opposites sort of just battling off each other.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And he does stop it. It is a kiss. It does last longer than it should have done.
4: Yes. I mean when the painting falls down, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> the
0: fact that they've by that point they've they've codified the, the a painting falling off a wall yeah. as God being angry. I yeah. thought that was yeah. a, a just an inspired piece of writing.
1: Yeah. I like the bit where they're sharing the G&Ts together and the painting falls off the wall. It goes, (laughs) I love it when he does that, you
4: know? Yes, yeah, definitely. And this is what I want to say, like despite the fact that in in that confessional scene, I I feel like he really oversteps a mark. I still really like him as a character. He's a really refreshing representation of Christianity and it reminded me a little bit of the series Rev, uh, I don't know if you saw any of that. I've seen BBC, Rev. I think.
1: Rev is excellent. Yeah,
4: and another Olivia Colman appearance mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it re- reminded me a little bit of that. It's, it's it's someone who is imperfect. He swears, he drinks, he smokes. But also his faith is incredibly real to him and a, and a core part of him. And I think often Christians are portrayed as kind of really pious or old and stuffy. And it is nice to see a more down-to-earth representation and especially with his relationship with God and just the way he kind of talks about God and talks to God as if it is a friend and someone familiar with him and that's much more representative of what being a Christian is really like rather than the long winded and really formal prayers.
0: Definitely. I think when it came to comes to celibacy, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of my story, my kind of dealings with this stuff. And, you know, I wanted to be incredibly explicitly clear that I'm not preaching right now. This is not me saying I did this and I expect everybody else to to do that. Other people are in different positions, with different situations, and I, I fully respect that. But this is my story sure so do you remember we were talking about churches that are a bit like cults vividly yeah 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 this was this was that thing so i came from a church where the senior leader had a policy of splitting up relationships of anyone under 18 and to be honest i think she would have done over 18s as well if she could so my awkward Hesitant Riff. relationship with my first girlfriend was broken up because the girl's parents were pressuring her to dump me and I was 14 at the time and I had about the same level of sexual threat as the average koala. <laughs> I was a good kid you know we would have ultimately broken up pretty soon under our own steam but they absolutely did not need to interfere.
1: Oh, I've got so many issues with that.
0: So I kind of was a late developer when it came to dating that is to say that whilst I was into girls since I was 10 girls would not touch me with a 10 foot barge pole so so the whole celibacy thing was actually a pretty good cover for the fact that I was kind of rubbish with girls. Do you remember what I said about, it's like saying, oh, I'm sorry. I'd love to have sex, but I can't because I've got a note from my deity.
1: <laughs> it's like having a doctor's note. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so great. I've got a lot of time for that. That's really funny.
0: In terms of what celibacy meant to me, I think it's easier to not do a bad thing that you've never done before. Mm. Like... I'm pretty sure, Phil, that you've never uh, committed any electoral fraud.
1: Not that I'm aware of or consciously done.
0: It's easier to stop yourself from committing electoral fraud in the future. if You've never done it in the first place. Well, yeah. So that was the same thing for me when it came to celibacy, you know. I'd never had sex, so it was one of the easiest options of things to to not do, if you like, you know. I always felt that if you're going to be a Christian... You needed to show the world that you were different in some way or other. So at uni, in a culture where virtually everything is permissible, being celibate felt like a radical act. Do you know what I mean?
1: You know what, I see that. I do respect that. I think that's an interesting way to separate yourself from other people and 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 an admirable one.
0: So we've talked in the past about how if you love someone, you're willing to give things up for them. Mm -hmm. Now, considering that some people feel called to give up their creature comforts and become missionaries, or in the Old Testament where Jewish men would have to get circumcised as a sign of their devotion to God. (sighs) I kind of Ooh. felt like I was getting off light on this issue. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I,
1: I, I want to I keep all my bits, all my yeah. pieces.
2: You know what I, I mean?
0: feel I just... like the Lord sort of brought me into this world with all the parts that I would be needing, you know? <laughs> yeah, That's... I don't
1: want to cut yeah. it off,
4: thank you. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's so... keep all that where it's meant to be, shall we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't, don't touch for willy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> please, no one just just stop. Weird, because
0: please touch my willy is is Phil's normal chat up line. Yeah, <laughs> but, hello.
2: Hiya. Oh
0: god. <laughs> <Hiya, love.
2: laughs> You'll get <getting> nice. <laughs> I can't even
0: do that. Anyway, Ooh. there was a weird side effect to this though, and I don't know, Clash. I don't know if you came across anything like this, but Mm. when I would meet a girl who was attractive, interesting, and a Christian, your brain would go into overdrive.
4: Marry yeah. them, marry them now, marry, marry, them. marry them now. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, like Do it now, quick.
0: I'd be, I'd, I'd be sort of like, <laughs> yes. I'd be sort of going, oh, she's cool, she's interesting. And we could share lifts to church and stuff in the morning and, and all this stuff would be buzzing through your head. Actually,
4: it's very stressful because I'd actually forgotten about this, which is really nice and relaxing. <laughs> um, but before you get married as a Christian, like if you're getting a little bit desperate, like, you know, as soon as you walk into like a Christian event or a new church, you're scanning the room yes. for any potential marriage material 100 it's, it's embarrassing frankly <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, 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 i mean that doesn't sound too dissimilar from from sort of secular life you know what i mean like
2: yes yeah, yeah.
0: the difference being is that your dating pool is a pool and ours is a puddle you know? <laughs> yes,
2: it yes, is okay, tiny is
0: the depressing thing is right is that statistically There are more women in church than there are guys. So that means you should be doing pretty well in this area if you're a single (laughs) Christian bloke in a church. So when you're not... When you're in a church where it's got like loads of good attractive looking christian girls and none of them are interested in you mate that is a that is a blow to the self-esteem on the other hand
4: when you're a christian woman there are literally not enough men to go around (laughs) (laughs) so it is entirely reasonable that you might just end up alone because there aren't enough yeah, oh. that is a terrifying prospect.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I got to thirty-two and still I was still a single celibate virgin, and you you were not. So you were being
4: no. saved for me. Yes,
0: yes, yeah. Well, the the, the flip side <laughs> oh, to it You Guys as well, are
4: adorable. Oh, I really like you.
0: The flip side to it as well was that sooner or later, in a conversation, celibacy would come up with non-Christian girls, and I can't help but feel that some of them sort of took it like a challenge. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it, in a way Because you weren't going straight into marriage mode When you when you sort of talked to these girls You got to relax around them more Than you would the girls at church So yeah. ironically you'd end up getting closer to them And this would happen to me time and time and time and time again And because you weren't trying to get in their pants They also felt safer around you As a result you ended up becoming a lot more emotionally and that's been physically intimate with people you didn't have a chance with. Because your USP, your no sex before marriage, didn't mean anything to Christian girls because that was the standard for them. Okay, yeah. So it was really tricky. I mean, we've, we've talked about being equally yoked in the past, which for my purposes meant not dating anyone who wasn't a Christian. That was always an important thing. But when I was 19, I fell very much in love with someone who wasn't a Christian. That young woman was there for me when my parents were getting divorced. Yeah. You know what that's like. It's that you're, you're an absolute wreck. You're an absolute mess, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's... it's Horrible. It sucks, whatever, whatever time that happens. When you're, when you're 19 and you're just trying to figure out who you are as a person, it, it's tricky, you know. Like she'd let me sleep on her floor, and she didn't know what what to say to me, so she'd just sort of try and ply me with gin to cheer me up, you know. Which always... excellent
4: <laughs> idea. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's not, that's not a bad way of doing things, to be fair, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. She always looked after me, you know. Obviously. We eventually broke up because my faith and her lack of it sooner or later proved to be insurmountable. And we've, we've mentioned this in the past. This is, it's not some comf- complex, fuzzy thing. It's it's about like, how do you see life and the world and everything? And mm. if the two, if your two views are, com- are, diver- are, are different, it's not going to work. It's like, how do you make it some work with somebody if you want kids and they don't or vice versa? You know,
1: that's problematic. Like, cause... <laughs> I've always wanted to have a kid. I'm not sure I could have the same relationship with my wife that I do if we didn't both eventually at one point want to have a kid. That would be hard.
0: So in that area we weren't right for each other for a number of reasons that would have broken us up sooner or later but the fact that it was over faith felt like a quite a noble reason. Do you know what I mean? And I think sure. because of that I think maybe that helped us to transition into being lifelong friends because it didn't go on any longer than it than it should have done. You she know? helps
4: you with your taxes now. She's lovely. She does.
0: She talks. I had to do my my taxes on my own now, you know? So I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. Absolute ledge. <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: So when someone feels, feels themselves being absolutely torn in two because of their love for God and their love for their partner, I want to say that I absolutely categorically understand that specific tension and that particular yeah. pain. Yeah, definitely.
4: Yeah. For me, choosing to be celibate was, firstly, just about because I was following the rules mm-hmm. rather than it being... particular personal choice I'm very much a rule follower (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, so it was just like well that's just one of the things I have to obey (laughs) um so in my my first relationship which didn't happen until I was 19 (laughs) um it was really less about like a boundary that I'd set for myself and just in terms of you know this is just a rule I have to follow so we pushed the boundaries pretty far Mm. uh, (laughs) um but kind of after that relationship, I I gave it a lot more thought and and made it like a conscious choice of my own, you know, and like, you know, I had to have my own reasons and things and these are reasons and I kind of had in my head what my boundaries were mm. um, and how far far I was willing to go with someone before I got married. It's, it's important to remember that it's, it's a personal choice and everyone has their own different boundaries. Yeah, This
0: is the thing, you and I didn't break that rule but we flip and bent it like nobody. <laughs> you know those memes you see where it'll say something like, how close i am to dropping out of university or something and you'll see like a car and I it's a car, and it's
1: like one millimeter right a meter away from the wall yeah
0: <laughs> like this is the line
4: <laughs> this is yeah. where we were you know yeah yeah, yeah no, but I, I, I... I, n- I never went past a boundary that i felt comfortable with yeah, and that I, that i'd sort of agreed with myself so yeah you know
0: and i just don't think we would have worked if we had to not kiss each other yeah. or we had to not hold hands. Yeah or I am I am not one of those
4: people that can keep a huge physical dif- distance. I need kind of physical reassurance. Mm. Like I need I yeah. need to be held and cuddled and kissed and and I need that kind of reassurance to know that I am loved and wanted I think really <laughs> so I'd I, really
3: struggle to
4: not have that in a relationship.
0: I think we'd both agree and we think we're both living proof that you don't need to have sex with someone to find out if you're sexually compatible or not.
4: Yeah, yeah. So many people say that actually when when they find out that you're not gonna have sex before marriage, they're like, oh but what if like if you don't like match sexually or something like that? Like, I don't I mean, what, understand like, that. Like, what if it doesn't fit? Do you know well, what
1: I mean? Like
2: say that. Yeah,
0: that was the first problem we had. <laughs> <laughs>
4: things I didn't need to ever know (laughs) we eventually got there on like night five (laughs) that's that's
1: great I'm so glad you guys got through that
4: oh my god Thanks. It was a, uh, yeah, was a yeah. tough time, <laughs> but yeah, this, like literally this is this is the barriers you have to overcome when you've never done it before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, sorry, I was saying. So you know, you you know when you're in love with someone and you know someone, uh, you, you know that it's gonna work. I really. yeah.
0: I ascribe to the share school of thought. It's in his kiss. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I think I don't think you need to, to have sex with somebody, but I do think you need to make out with them a bit. Yeah. You know. Also,
4: I think the only people that are bad in bed are the people that are selfish in bed yeah i think that's the only bad at sex you can be if you're a bit selfish and as long as you're willing to communicate and be like oh no down a bit left a bit up a bit okay slower yes there you go <laughs> they- well,
1: well done
0: we- yeah, <laughs> high five <Yes>. you know <laughs> what i lacked in ex- experience i made up for in raw enthusiasm oh 100%. Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything else you want to talk about
4: yeah I had one final point I wanted to make um, which is the fact just kind of addressing the fact that they do have sex Mm -hmm. and I you know I totally get why they did it like you know the the relationship between them is amazing it's intense the chemistry is fantastic in some ways I would have preferred it if they'd not slept together because often in TV and film in most stories people end up having sex even when they say they won't like people always end up cheating on their wives and girlfriends Mm. and boyfriends and husbands and I, I know that a lot of people have affairs but I still I don't find it especially convincing it's it's like it's portrayed as inevitable when two people are attracted to each other that they're going to have sex and it is possible to hold boundaries and make a choice not to cross them and sometimes it's shown as if it's not a choice that people can't help themselves Mm-hmm. And I think that plays into rape culture a little bit, that sexual desires are in some way uncontrollable. Yeah. You know, that whole kind of leading a man on thing. It's like, it, it's not as if he can't control what he does with his penis.
2: Yeah.
4: I've never understood yeah. when people yeah. describe it as an accident when they sleep together. Like, "Well, did you fall <laughs> over and land inside her accidentally? <laughs>
1: like, um, so I'm sorry, like, I tripped and I fell into her. I didn't mean it.
4: Yeah. Like, it's, it's not it's an accident. There smart, are There are a work. lot of... Yeah, there are a lot of points between kissing someone and having sex where you can make a choice to stop. It's
0: beyond that. It goes, it goes earlier than that. My friend, um, do you know what? I'm not going to say his name because there's certain things. She... Yeah. Yeah. His wife cheated on him. Uh, mm. They got married. He was he was 21. She was she was 19. And she cheated on him um, shortly after she graduated uni. And the phrase he used was, there's a lot of, of checkpoints between a hug that goes on too long and having sex in the back of someone's car. Something that I've thought about is that nothing can happen, and it can, and it can still be a problem. You know, mm. and I kind of feel like, in the same way that my celibacy was a, a mark of my Christianity, I feel like being a good husband to you is the mark of my Christianity going forward. You know, mm. it's it's the thing I'm gonna like mm. being a good husband to you, being a good dad to Riley. That that's what people are gonna measure me on. And there's those times where you don't you don't stop fancying other people, you don't stop liking it when other people other women show you attention yeah, you know of course, yeah. and you when you get the message from them, you get a little bit of a buzz and it's just being able to kind of sit yourself down and say okay come on now i think how do you is, think this is going to end
1: as a married man there's a great satisfaction in being able to be but no i am married i've committed myself yeah. to this woman and and that's a promise i've made and that's something that i will uphold mm. there's something about that that just feels fulfilling and and gratifying to me I I think it's a sign that I definitely have found the right person for one but also it's a sign of integrity
0: well you're never going to stop wanting to get off with somebody new yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so because this was the longest relationship I've ever been in and because it's it you had that sort of I really can't think of a better way of saying it like a hunter mentality sort of like meet someone get to know them get to all the rest of it you know and that doesn't go away straight away, you know? So, yeah,
4: kind of your instinct to search for someone is still there. It's still there, especially <laughs>
0: yeah. after you've do, when you've been doing it for like 20 years or so, mm. you know? So I was like, okay, Giles, look, you can't get off with somebody else and be faithful to your wife. These two things are antithetical. You literally have to pick one and that's it. I've always had this belief that it's a, it's a quote from somewhere in the Old Testament. You know, that which is done in darkness will be shouted from the rooftops. These things, even if you keep it a secret, you, well, first of all, it's probably not going to be a secret because it literally involves another person you can't you can't control that that much and also it would mean that our relationship isn't as special as it once was that would kind of kill me do you know what i mean
4: yeah definitely yeah, yeah. and you know like phil says there's a real satisfaction in being faithful to someone yeah. and it's putting your long-term contentment and joy over short-term fulfillment of your desires yeah the
0: thing that made that works for us is, is kind of making it into a joke. Yeah. Where you'd say something like, oh, she clearly fancies you. Yeah. You know? It's like, oh, my God, she was just all over me. It was embarrassing. <laughs> I, think, I think
1: both me and Elise made an agreement at one point that if, um, if it was for the good of our family, if one of us had to sleep with Jeff Bezos so that we could be rich... Um, <laughs> Then, then clearly it'd be for our family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
2: know. Okay,
0: that finishes our uh, finding the faith in the film. <laughs>
1: Weirdly.
2: <laughs>
0: we have a review. Yay! Believe it or not, we have a review from a guy called Merlin. Merlin says... Fascinating podcast that explores film and TV through the analytical lens of spiritual belief with more nuanced views than the all-too-familiar religion bad takes of the Dude Bro (laughs) podcast community. Thank you so much, Merlin. So... Just to wrap things up, I just want to say, guys, we have loved making this show. We've made friends, we've been able to speak to people, give a platform to some wonderful guests, picked up a whole load of new skills, and learned so much about faith and film. Before I started this show, I had no idea about theodicy, different types of passivism, translator visibility, and Calvin's tulip, to name a few, but honestly... Being my son's primary carer, along with being a media coordinator, a writer, a tutor, and a podcaster, just means I've not really got the time to keep making God in Film. Now, we've still got one or two specials coming our way, so you haven't quite heard the end of this, but unless something dramatically changes, this will be the last full series of God in Film, and that's okay. We started out looking to make a few episodes to keep ourselves sane during lockdown, and we've somehow ended up with around (laughs) 30 episodes in our back catalogue. So I think we've done okay, don't you? I
1: think we've done pretty well. I mean, for something that just started off as like, I don't know, we could probably do it, to 30 episodes is not something I could have foreseen happening. It's been delightful.
0: And Claire, we, we absolutely couldn't have done it without you because I literally didn't know how make podcasts go woo.
4: You're very welcome. How Top do much. we make
0: podcasts go woo? <laughs> 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 Please tell me. You know, I, Thanks, I would have been lost without you. Anything <laughs> by that my brain goes, no. <laughs> that it usually steps in
1: for it, and it's brilliant. There's, there's many times where my brain just kind of goes...
0: <laughs> Anyone wanting to hear our rakish repartee can download and listen to the Media Mag podcast. <laughs> the podcast for students of film and media where we've got plenty more episodes in the making. So, for the last time, Forgot in Film. Phil, have you had a good time?
1: I have had a good time. I've learnt quite a lot of these last three series just more than i ever thought i would learn about any kind of religion never mind like you know never arguably.
4: mind more than you ever wanted to know about our sex life <laughs> yeah and,
1: and i never thought i'd know so much about no but in all seriousness in all seriousness it's been an absolute pleasure it's a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to the next bit
0: awesome claire have you had a good time
4: i've had such a good time i love you guys i love listening to you guys
0: and i've had a good time too ladies and gentlemen Thank you so much for listening. Bye! Bye. Goddard Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil. Editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh. And our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Aidan Jones. Goddard Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review. Unless it's a one star, in which case, write your criticism down on a small piece of paper and slide it into a small metal tube. Leave it outside your house, next to some stale tuna, where a fox will find it and deliver it to Phil through the nefarious clandestine network of urban foxes.